Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. I want you to, to open your Bible tonight to Ephesians chapter 1. And I'm going to go, I'm going to start where we were talking, about what we were talking about Sunday. And uh, I'm going to jump ahead of myself a little bit and give a little bit of, uh, I think, important uh, background information, teaching on what I'm going to be ministering on on Sunday. And I know I have to cover a little bit of this on Sunday and I might go into more detail than I do tonight because uh, a lot of you are informed in some of the things I'm going to be talking about. But anyway, i uh, said enough about that. Let's look at uh, Ephesians chapter 1. Father, we thank you tonight for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the reading of your word. Father, we thank you for the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you. The eyes of our understanding being enlightened. Glory to God, that we may know what is the hope of your calling What are the riches of the glory of your inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness of your power toward us who believe? Glory to God. We thank you for insight in the spirit realm. Glory to God. Amen. Hallelujah. So in Ephesians chapter 1, I just in my prayer quoted some of this. But uh, beginning in verse uh, uh, 15, Paul wrote, Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward you who believe." Uh, I mentioned on Sunday that there are three things there. I just, I just read them, and it's important to identify them. Otherwise, we just read over things sometimes and don't, don't realize what's being said. He was specifically praying that the church at Ephesus, and it would apply to the church here, that we would have wisdom and understanding and be enlightened along these three lines. Number one, what is the hope of his calling? Number two, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? Number three, what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? And uh, I want to I jump ahead and talk about this last one tonight and then uh, go into a little bit more uh, detail or explanation along this line. Notice he said, what is the, he wants us to know, number three, what is the exceeding greatness of his power? And it's not just power, it's great power. And it's not just great power, it's exceeding great power. What is the exceeding greatness of his power? I think we need revelation along this line. Amen. If we had more revelation of the exceeding greatness of his power, we'd see more of that power. Amen. Because, because we receive by faith. And you can't have faith in something you don't know anything about. That's why we need the spirit of wisdom and revelation working in us along, revealing the things to us that we need to add our faith to so we can receive them in our life. Amen. He said, what is the exceeding greatness of your power toward us who believe? So there is an exceeding great power and it's directed toward us believers, and recently when I was studying that, that stood out to me. And then, and then as, I, as I got a little more insight, I understood why. This is not power that's directed to the world. It's not power that's directed to the unbelievers. It's not power that's directed to the unsaved. There is power directed to them. But this, this power is directed toward those who believe. The, I'll say it like this. There is a, an exceeding great power that is only directed to believers. And he then goes on to describe it. He says it's according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ. And let's stop right there. 
it's, it's according to, other translations say it's the same as. On one translation says it's, it's, it's equal to. It's the same as. The, in other words, the power that was directed to the Lord Jesus Christ that worked in him is directed toward us. Now he goes on and says this. He says, it's according to the working of his mighty power. In the Greek, that's three different words for power. Three different Greek words. Working is, is in the Greek, it means the, uh, the outward manifest or the outward effort of power. The, the working of it, how it works. The working of his mighty, which is different than power. Power is dunamis. This is mighty power. And it's according to the working. That power has to work. God, God doesn't just wave a wand, you know, a wand and sort of decree things and they happen out of thin air. They happen because of the working of his mighty power. Everything God says, there is mighty power behind it. And when it's released through our lips, it'll work just like it worked when it was released, released through God's lips. It has to be worked and we have to have faith in it. He said the working of, of his mighty power. Now notice, he, he gives more information. Which he worked in Christ. Now don't read it this way. Don't read it this way, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Don't read it that way. Because we tend, I know at least I tended for a long time to stop right there. Woo! Raised Jesus from the dead. And, and truly, the resurrection of Christ is a major, uh, is of major importance in the Bible. It's major importance in our life. I mean, the resurrection uh, is, is uh, the first doctrine that was ever preached by the church. The early church, they stood up and preached that Jesus was dead. You hung him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead. So that he raised Christ from the dead is, if you just read it like that, you'll miss something. And so I got in the habit of reading, like this was just a couple of years ago, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead end. The power that raised Christ from the dead did more than raise him from the dead. The, the great, this exceeding great power that, that caused the, the Jesus who was dead to be quickened, to be made alive, and to actually come out of the grave, that power did more than that. It didn't just raise him up from the grave. It seated him at the Father's right hand in the heavenly places. Literally, when it says, and seated him, you know the ushers around here. If if you if you come in and 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 the church is full, and you know somebody comes in doesn't usually come here, and they don't know where the, where to sit. The ushers will seat them. They'll they'll show them where they have three of you. There's three right over here, and the ushers will seat them. That's not what happened here. It says in the original Greek. It says. The, what it, that power that he worked in Christ when he raised from the dead and made him sit. He made him to sit. The, the, the idea, the thought is that Jesus didn't just, he didn't just, he wasn't just raised from the dead and, and uh, ascended into heaven and found a place to sit. He didn't just sit down. The Father made him to sit. The sense is that it was a, uh, an act of extreme honor. That he, there was a place prepared for him to sit. And God the Father brought Jesus fresh from the earth, fresh from being raised from the dead, fresh from ascending into heaven, and caused him to sit in a place of preeminence, a place of power, a place of honor, a place of glory. In other words, it, there's a sense of, of, of a ceremonial sitting here. Caused him to sit at his right hand in the heavenly places. And Hebrews chapter one says that he is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. This, this is no ordinary place that Jesus was sat. 
Amen. And uh, the power that worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him, that power worked behind the scenes. It, it wasn't just uh, it wasn't just a simple act of raising Jesus from the dead. It wasn't, uh, you know, Jesus was dead. He died, you know, for us, became sin, was cut off in the presence of God. We've been talking about that. Died spiritually, you know, when he was dead in trespasses and our sins, not his, but ours, his, our trespasses and our sins. And uh, God just made him alive. Poof, you're alive. Raised him up, plopped him down. That's not what happened. There, there were some things that went on in the raising Jesus from the dead. And we need, know, we need to know about it because that's the power that's directed toward us. The things that went on when Jesus was raised from the dead need to be going on in our life. Because the things that happened when Jesus was raised from the dead are, are directed toward us. The power that caused that to happen is directed toward us. Well, what happened? Well, what in the world happened when Jesus was raised from the dead? Go with me over to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. Praise the Lord. Aren't you glad it's a Wednesday night and you're not asleep? Aren't you glad you're fully alert? Amen. Amen. I know what it's like. It's rainy. It's a rainy night in Georgia. Well, it's a rainy night around here. <laughs> you can get kind of sluggish and kind of come in, but thank God we're not like that. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Colossians chapter 2. And let's start in verse number 12. Buried with him. Now, this again goes back to what we've been teaching for a while. We, we, were, we died. We were crucified with him. We died with him. It says here we're buried with him. Buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him. Whatever, whatever raised Jesus from the dead raised us from the dead. The power that raised him from the dead raised us from the dead. But that power didn't just complete its task and then stop. God didn't turn that power on, raise Jesus from the dead, and then raise, and raise us up with him. That was done. Well, okay, we're done with that power. Because that power is still directed towards us. There's still something to be done with that power. Okay, it says, Buried with him in baptism in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God. There's that word working which we found over in, in Ephesians. The working of his mighty power. This is the working of God. It's talking about the same power. Through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead and you. You can read it like this who raised him from the dead and you. Do you get that? When he raised him from the dead and you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And that's talking about the, the requirements of the Old Testament law. He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. So what was the working? What was the working of that mighty power like? What happened when Jesus was raised from the dead and we were raised up with him? Because the, because the power, it took the same power to raise us from the dead that it did to take, raise Jesus from the dead. We're talking about spiritually, of course. We, we haven't been raised up physically yet. There, that's coming. But we've been raised up in spirit. We were made alive. Well, the power that made him alive made us alive. And it's the same measure of power. So what happened? Because we're, we're supposed to have a revelation of the exceeding greatness of this power. Well, how great was it? Verse 15 describes what happened when that power worked there in hell and raised Jesus up, made him alive and raised him up from the dead and seated him, is that what happened is described in verse 15. 
having disarmed principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. The power that raised Jesus from the dead, when God did that, the effect it had in was not only just raising Jesus from the dead, but it was vanquishing his enemies. It was complete and total domination of the devil. It says here that he spoiled principalities and powers. Hold your place there and go back, because we're going to come right back to it. Go back to Ephesians chapter 1. Look at verse 20. When he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality, power, might, dominion, every name, this name. In other words, Christ just wasn't raised up and bypassed principalities and and powers and, and so forth. They weren't just bypassed. They were kicked out of the way. They were, they were destroyed. They were defeated. When he raised Jesus from the dead and set him far above, it happened because in Colossians, it says that he disarmed principalities and powers. Let's look at this at, at, uh, in some translations. Hallelujah. Where it says, having spoiled principalities and powers, says he disarmed, one Canterbury translation says, he disarmed the principalities and powers which fought against him. 20th century New Testament said, he rid himself of all the powers of evil. Weymouth's translation says, and the hostile, hostile princes and rulers he stripped off from himself. The Knox translation says, and the dominions and powers he robbed of their prey. Who glory. Philip's translation says, and then having drawn the sting of all the powers raged against us. New English uh, Bible says on that cross, he discarded the cosmic powers and authorities. And then it says he made a show of them openly triumphing over them in that, in it. He made them, he put them to an open shame, celebrating a triumph over them. That's the Rotherham's translation. Conterbury says, and put them to open shame, leading them captive in the triumph of Christ. 20th century says, and held them up to open contempt when he celebrated his triumph over them on the cross. Williams' translation said he made a public display of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Phillips' translation says he exposed them, shattered, empty, and defeated in his final triumphant act. That power that raised Jesus from the dead, like I said, did more than quicken his spirit, impart life to him. That's what happened to you when you got born again. The Holy Spirit quickened your, your, your inward man and, and recreated you. The life and nature of God came into your, into your inner man and a, and a new creation happened, a, a brand new person that never existed before. That's a wonderful thing. But in order to do that, where Christ was concerned, he had to defeat all the principalities and powers that were raged against him. Because you see, remember, he, when, he went, when he died, the devil thought he had him. He thought, ooh, the son of man, the son of God, I've got him now. He became sin on the cross and died in shame and disgrace. And you know hell was rejoicing the devil was rejoicing. Demons were jumping up and down. They were probably circling him and just shouting, you know, and, and, and just so gleeful. <laughs> but then some mighty power began to work. 
This mighty power is devil trumping power. It's devil kicking power. It's power that that absolutely subjugates everything the enemy's trying to do, puts it to an end, stops it, overcomes it, triumphs it, and was right. That's the power that is still aimed toward us. We have devil kicking power available us. We have we have power to put the devil on the run every single moment of every single day. That power is directed towards us. Too often we go through life just putting up with things, just plodding along, have a good service on Sunday and go home on Monday and Sunday night. Monday is just same old, same old, back to same old, you know, and we're just like every. That's not the way it's supposed to be. There's power directed toward us and it's the very same power that, that put Satan and all of the host of darkness, principalities and powers, all of the demon spirits that we ever have to deal with, it put them to open shame. Made a spectacle of them, it said. Glory to God. That, that power is directed toward this man right here. Now he didn't look like it. Just like looks like... Good old Wendell. Good old Edwin. I'm telling you, there, there's, there's more power than we realize. It's capable of more than we realize. It's capable of more than we get from it. It's capable of doing more in our life than we allow it to do. Why? Because we don't have a sufficient revelation of it. That's why Paul prayed that we get a revelation of the exceeding greatness of this power that's that's available to us, that's directed to us. And he describes it, it's according to, it's the same as the power that he worked in Christ whenever Christ rose from the dead and threw off all those evil spirits and threw off that darkness and conquered everything that was in the in the realm of, 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 of the departed world. Just destroyed all of it. Glory. That power. That power. He said we need to have a revelation of it. Well, amen. Hallelujah. Now, go with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Verse 10 says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the, and in the power of his might. The power, the dunamis power of his overworking strength and might. His, again, these, these words are used because you get the sense that the language is just not sufficient. It's just not sufficient. If he could have written this in tongues and we could get the interpretation of it, it'd be, it might help us. But he just had to use the language that was available, the working. It's another word for power. The power working of his power. You could put it that way. Now, it, it also doesn't say be strong. That's not a correct rendering. See, when you read it that way, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. We, we, we automatically put our focus on us. Well, I got to be strong. Be strong, brother. Be strong. Just hold on and be strong, sister. Be strong. That, that puts the, 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 uh, the burden and the responsibility on us. We got to do something. We have to, you know, uh, just, you know, pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, so to, street, so to speak, and just, you know, uh, you know, man up or woman up and just be strong. It literally says, and be strengthened. Finally, my brethren, be strengthened. Be strengthened. See, that, that, puts, that puts, to me, that communicates that I, I just need to let him strengthen me. I need to draw on his strength. Finally, my brethren, draw on his strength. Be strengthened in the Lord and in the power of his might. Now, what I want to talk about on Sunday, I want to talk about if I get to it. Well, no, I've jumped ahead. I don't guess I'm going to be talking about this Sunday. When I get to this, what I'm going to be talking about is spiritual warfare, but I want to talk about it tonight because I want to go into some detail. Spiritual warfare got a bad rap in the 1990s. <laughs> a lot of people, uh, the, the idea of spiritual warfare really uh, caught on in the church world in the 1990s. And a lot of people were talking about spiritual warfare, spiritual warfare, spiritual warfare, 
And it became very extreme, unbiblical, and uh, unbalanced. And because of that, people pulled back from talking about spiritual warfare. I mean, back then, everybody had a series, a cassette series on spiritual warfare. Not, not, not necessarily in the word of faith camp, but in the charismatic world. And a lot of, and a lot of word of faith people, I mean, everybody was talking about spiritual warfare. Like I said, everybody had all the Bible teachers and preachers had cassette series on it. You almost find nobody talking about it anymore. And, and it's because people drew back from all of the excess that happened. But church, there is spiritual warfare. There is, we, we are engaged in spiritual warfare whether we realize it or not. And uh, in these last days, we're, go- we're-, we're going to have to-, to be more conscious of the battle. Be more conscious of the things that are going on around us. But we have to be careful to be strengthened in the Lord and in the power of His might, not our own might. Because frankly, there was a whole lot of human might involved in the spiritual warfare teaching that was going on. And uh, go with me over to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. This was another uh, prime verse in the spiritual warfare camp. Verse 3 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare. Let me ask you this. Is there a warfare? Are we in it? Are we in a war? Yes, we are. We are in a war. And it's high time that we start paying attention to it. Start start, uh, employing the things that are available to us in this war. But let's be careful to keep it in the bounds of Scripture. Because in the 1990s, it got way out of bound. And I'll, I'll describe it here. Verse 3 says, for, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. This idea of pulling down strongholds took on a life of its own. <laughs> I mean, quite literally. And the idea was, and, and you know, when people, people can get a little bit of revelation and if they, don't, if they don't balance that out with the rest of the word of God, that little bit of revelation can lead into real error. So people had some, some revelation that there are spirits in this world that we have to deal with and... Uh, their operations, according to this, to this teaching, I'll just call it the spiritual warfare teaching, uh, their operations causes strongholds. And the teaching was that in certain cities, essentially in every town, in every city, there were prevailing evil spirits that worked in those towns. And that if you came, if you were real spiritual and you, when you visited a city, you would pick up what spirits were predominant in that city. Well, there's some truth to that. But, but it was taken away from truth. It was, it was led, that idea was led astray. Remember when Jesus uh, was casting the devil out of somebody, one of the people he was casting the devil out of, I think it's in Mark's gospel. I think it's probably chapter 5. When the, the spirits begged him, the demon spirits that, that, that came out, they begged him that, that he would not send them out of the country. Do you remember that? Evidently, spirits like to stay where they are. They, they didn't... Now, another place, the spirits said, did you come to torment us before our time, before the time? So there is a time when the devil can be displaced. 
But when Jesus was here, it wasn't the time for them to be displaced. He, 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 he didn't send them out of the country. He enabled them to go into the swine. You remember that? So they stayed there in that, in that ge- geographic area. I can't prove it, but you can't disprove it, and there's nothing to suggest there's a, there's a different uh, interpretation. I would suppose that those spirits that Jesus cast out that went into the swine and the swine ran down to the hill and were drowned, they came out of them and they found other people to go into. And I would suggest that those spirits are still there in that area today. Because, you, because they, they, they cried out, uh, you know, don't, don't, don't uh, uh, send us into the abyss. Well, you know, if Jesus could have cast them into a, to the abyss, he would have. He wouldn't be a very good savior if he could have cast them into the abyss and he just left them there for those people to deal with. If he, he, if he could have, he would have. If it was time, he could have, but it wasn't time. Well, it hasn't been time yet. Still not time. And... The, the idea in this teaching, well, let me back up. Yes, there are spirits that are associated with certain geographic areas, certain towns. And, and, and when some cities, it's quite obvious because they're so strong. I don't know if you've ever been to New Orleans or not. New Orleans has, has got some strong witchcraft spirits. I mean, it's strong there. High Springs has its own spirits. High Springs has religious spirits and stingy devils. It is. When I came to town and first started pastoring, we ran up against these things. My wife and I, she can tell you. I mean religion. This was the hardest place to break through and have an effect on people because of religious spirits. Everybody here in, in, seemed in this whole area was of one denomination or another. And buddy, nobody else better show up. In fact, in Gainesville, when we, once we started the church, I didn't, you know, uh, I just went. I, was, I came here because of the only opening I had. <laughs> people out in Fort White were the only people who wanted to hear me preach. So you go where you can go, you know. But I, I learned that after we planted the church, we started meeting with some of the spirit-filled pastors in Gainesville. There was a, actually back then there was a little uh, uh, informally organized, but we met, you know, on, on a regular basis. And it was about 20 pastors of spirit-filled churches. And they were Church of God, Assembly of God, some charismatic churches, and, uh, and so forth. I was the only word of faith pastor. But I, after I met some of these gentlemen and told them where I was and what I was doing, they all started laughing. Not one, I'm talking about several of them. Said, oh yeah, you can't, you can't plant a church in High Springs, Florida. Are you kidding me? We, and they said, we tried it. I mean, it's like three or four of them had tried to start churches in, you know, in High Springs or in the immediate uh, uh, area, you know, right outside of town. They tried it and, and he said, we just couldn't do it. You can't start a church there. And they moved to Gainesville. Yeah, they called it, the, they, they told me High Springs is the graveyard of new churches. Charismatic churches, spirit-filled churches, you know, other than the, the mainline Pentecostal denomination. It's the, that's what they called it, it's the graveyard. And they laughed at me. Well, you know, I didn't have enough sense to, to, to even listen to any of that. I've, I felt like, well, bless God, I just came out of Ramah. You know, nobody's running me out of town. But I found out that that religious spirit in this community was very strong. It was very strong. We had opposition. People talked about us and just shunned. It Mainly it was a shunning, just shunned by people. And, uh, and then I found out too that it was, very, it was a religiously uh, stingy devil. I found out that most people's idea of, of a good offering was like $5. <laughs> and, and one of the men in the church told me in the, in, in the church they had gone to, they actually, they had gone over, they were in another church, they were in the Methodist church, but they had gone over and visited this church. There was a gospel scene going on. 
And uh, they took up an offering for the, for the singing group, and, and it wasn't much money. So the, 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 whoever was taking up the offering came back out and said, you know, this is a pitiful amount of money. We, we can't send these people away. I don't remember how much it was. It's something ridiculously small. So we, we need to take up, you know, who will give some more? And this one brother told me, he said, one man kind of, you know, squared his shoulder and puffed, puffed out his chest a little bit and said his, his wife was sitting somewhere else. And he, out loud, he said, Mama, write him a check for five. <laughs> like he had just hung the moon. Write him a check for five. And boy, he felt good about that. And so right away, you know, we started teaching on giving because we realized the only way to combat that is to teach. And, uh, and so we taught, you know, all of these years the importance of generosity. And... You know, I give God all the glory. I take, I mean, he takes the credit, but he's been able to do a, a tremendous thing in this church where giving is concerned. I mean, we've, we just run that, that, that stingy devil away from us. He just can't operate here. But I found out this, that whatever spirit is in a community, whatever demons are, are predominant, they always try to get into the church in that community. And that's why those churches were like that. They were very religious and very stingy because those spirits were, were dominating. And so we have to be on, on uh, our guard. We don't have, it's not so much being conscious of them, it's being conscious of the word because the word is the victory over these spirits knowing what the truth is and acting on it. That is spiritual warfare. We'll say that again. Knowing the word and acting on it is effective spiritual warfare. But I digressed. The idea was in, in the charismatic community, why, and I'm telling you, there were books written that sold thousands, I'm guessing tens and scores of thousands of copies went all over this country about all the spiritual strongholds. So this word stronghold, where Paul said casting down imaginations and, and, and everything that exalts itself, well, that's the next verse. The previous verse talks about uh, pulling down strongholds. This teaching came up that these strongholds were demonic, uh, demonic controlling spirits that were over a community. Because again, people had a little insight. They sensed these things, but then they didn't interpret the Bible with the Bible. So out of, out of that passage, by itself, emerged the teaching that there were demonic strongholds and the church was supposed to pull them down. But that verse doesn't really mention demons at all. There's no reference to demons. There's no reference to controlling spirits. You have to read that into that. There was, a, there was a, an author, and I, I almost can remember his name because I didn't read any of his books, but they were in all of the Christian bookstores. And he wrote a series of novels his, his name started with a P. Yeah. Well, look, look how widely they were known. After all of these years. He wrote a series of novels. And I don't, I don't obviously some of you can tell me the titles of them. I don't know. If I was a good attorney, I would just... Rest my case and sit down. <laughs> but these were novels, and he wrote stories dramatizing all of these spiritual uh, uh, shenanigans or spiritual uh, combats that were going on in the darkness. And all of these prevailing spirits and how you ward and... And I remember reading in a magazine 
where someone was teaching out of one of, what's his name? I, listen, I'm not, I'm not criticizing him as a person. But somebody was, was actually quoting him as if it was scripture. They were saying, well, you know, such and such a spirit, and they named this spirit that came out of his book. It wasn't in the Bible. That that spirit, the way you have to deal with that, that's and what you're going through, brother, in this article, is that spirit that, and he gave it that name that this guy gave it, and, and you have to do this, that, and the other. That he, and I'm thinking, wait a minute, this is not the Bible. This is a novel. This is, a, this is fiction. So they have these ideas that, uh, and, and this, this teaching or doctrine, if you want to call it a doctrine, came out of this one verse. Strongholds, well, that must be then all of these ruling spirits that are over these cities. And the idea was that you could war against them. The weapons of our warfare are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds that you can war against these spirits and you can pull down the spirits. Say in high spring, you can pull down that greedy spirit, run it out of town, subdue it. You can pull down the religious spirit and run him out of town. You can go to, if you get enough believers and they, they descended, they would, they would actually travel around in groups. And are you, you familiar with this? And meet in certain cities. And they would go to New Orleans. And they would go to Chicago. And they, it was easy to pick out, you know, what was going on in some of those cities, you know. I mean, there's voodoo everywhere and it don't take any discernment, you know. But they would go to these cities and they would, they would descend in numbers, in large numbers on these cities. And they would enter into prayer and intercession and what they called warring. They, which, in, which involved prayer, but it involved uh, speaking in tongues at the devil. They called those kinds of tongues warring tongues. And so they would, they would get in, in a group and they would begin to, to war in other tongues. Only problem with that is that he who speaks in an unknown tongue doesn't speak to devils. He speaks to God. But that's that this and then and it got worse than that. I mean, it was all kinds of maneuvers. They would have warring conferences and warring meetings, and, and they, they there was a term that came up, the militant church. We have to be militant about these things. We have, in other words, we have to be serious warriors, not just Sunday going to church people. We got to be warriors. And so they would start having meetings, warring meetings, and people would actually dress up in military style fatigues. Camouflage, pants and shirts and hats and you know, boots and black boots, the whole thing. And, and they would war against the devil. Well, yeah, they even brought toy guns to church. I didn't want to say that, but Angel reminded me. They brought toy guns to church and they would pray, you know, they would war against the devil and have these, I'm not, these were adults. These were people who were otherwise sensible people. But when they got on this warring thing, their brains fell out of their head and they just, and it was all based on one scripture that the scripture doesn't say anything about demons. What does it say these, strong, these strongholds are? Mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Let me read this from the Amplified Bible. Did you know that the biggest battle you or I ever have is right up here. It's in the mind. They're really, if you can, if you can control that, you got it made. <clears throat> Verse five in the Amplified Bible says, inasmuch as we refute arguments and theories and reasonings, and every proud and lofty thing that sets itself up against the true knowledge of God, we lead every thought and purpose captive to the obedience of Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. 
This is talking about what we do in our minds. What do you do? Did you know every problem, every, every disobedience starts in the mind? Fear starts in the mind. You start listening to people. Start listening to whoever you're listening to that starts sowing thoughts of fear and, and gets in your mind. Spiritual warfare is recognizing that and casting that. It's, listen, if Jesus couldn't throw those devils out of Galilee or Capernaum, I think, where it, what was that where he was? If Jesus couldn't throw those devils out of Capernaum, how are you going to throw them out of High Springs? It's not even what that's talking about. It's talking about dealing with the devil in our own life because you can't do anything about the devil in somebody else's life. And you can't run the devil out of town. He's been here a whole lot longer than you have. So if it's fear, if it's offense, you get offended. What happened? Well, somebody said something, somebody did something, you got to thinking about it. And the more you thought about it, the more offended you got. What, what is that? That's a stronghold developing in your mind that's contrary to the, to the knowledge of God. It's boasting itself against the knowledge of God because the knowledge of God is, that's my brother, that's my sister. I'm just gonna pray for them and pray God's blessing on them and they probably didn't mean that anyway and just love on them. That's, that's the wisdom of God. If it's, if, it doesn't matter what it is. Lust, sex sins, you know, all that starts in the mind. Isn't that right? Start thinking about it. You think a little bit more about it. For long, you're thinking about it all the time. And if you, if you don't recognize that and cast it down, it'll become a stronghold in your life. It'll bring you into bondage. If it's anything, if it's uh, jealousy, that's a, that can be a stronghold. We have to get in the habit of recognizing our thoughts, judging our thoughts, get in the habit of questioning, whoa, what, what did I just, let me just, let me just analyze what I just thought. Because the thing about it is, if you're born, we have, we have such a good plan. It's like, you know, the plan at work, you know, so you think you got a good retirement plan or a good package of benefits. We've got a great plan in God. Because if you know the Bible, you know certain things you're not supposed to do. You're not spo- you know you're not supposed to be jealous of people. You know you're not supposed to be afraid. The Bible tells us a thousand times, fear not. But even if you don't know, you have, you have something on the inside will tell you, oh, don't, go, don't go there, don't think that, don't, don't know. If we would just listen to the word and, and, and be students of the word and then listen to our inward man, we would judge those things and cast them down. That's how you pull down when there, if it's become a stronghold in your thinking, you recognize it and you take the word of God, like it says, bring every thought captive to the knowledge of God, of God's word. That's spiritual warfare. Well, praise the Lord. And the church isn't doing enough about it. We're not doing it enough. Because again, spiritual warfare got such a bad rap in the, in the 1990s. Was that when those books were in the 1990s? Yeah, the 1990s. It got such a bad rap because people got completely crazy. So you don't, you don't have any, Nobody I know puts out tapes on spiritual warfare. I heard Brother Keith talking about it recently. Um, Brother Moore uh, on TV, I think, recently. So he's the only person I've seen heard talk, talking about it in Decades, it seems like. But it's something that believers need to be aware of. We need to mount up our defenses and get on the aggressive side because the same power that, that worked in Jesus and threw those evil spirits aside and cast them aside, that power is, is waiting on you when you recognize what the devil's trying to say to you and you resist him that's what makes him flee. He's not fleeing from you. He's not afraid of you. You put that power to work. That power that, and he remembers 
The devil remembers, demons remember the, the day and the hour and the minute when Jesus was made alive and he rose up victorious and cast them aside and utterly put them to shame. They remember that. And that power is available to us. Oh, glory to God. So keep your little cap guns at home. <laughs> Don't wear crazy clothes to church. <laughs> You know, there's so many different, we, we laugh about these things, but there's so many different aspects of this. Rebellion. Rebellion. Is, a, is, a, is of the devil. And it's a spirit. And the devil starts talking to you. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do, they told me I don't have to do that. Well, sometimes it's not a matter of having to. It's just a matter of walking in love. Pride. Proud of who you are. How great you are. How your people say, I, I, knew, I know preachers a lot of times would, I would talk about, I, you know, we'd go to ministers. I know I'm running a little late. We'd go to ministers. I can't say this next time. Uh, we'd go to ministers meetings and, and sometimes I'd just talk about issues going on in the church, you know, because you're among pastors. And sometimes I get this, oh, I don't put up with that in my church. I don't put up with all that. I'm thinking, okay, so you're just so cool. That bellicose, I don't put up with all of that. And people are that way in life. I want you to know, I don't put up with that kind of stuff. That's Pride. That's P-R-I-D-E. Well, praise the Lord. I have a whole list that I wanted to go into and I've run out of time. <laughs> praise the Lord. But we have to cast these things down, recognize them and cast them down. Yes, amen. I thought you were raising your hand. You wanted to ask a question. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Hallelujah. Did you get anything out of this tonight? Praise God. Thank God, thank God, thank God. You're dismissed. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.